0: If you or someone you love sleeps, then this episode is for you. We'll be talking with Martha Lewis, who's a sleep consultant, all about how to get to sleep when we have trouble falling asleep, what foods can help you sleep, and other tips and tricks to help us get the most restorative sleep possible. Welcome to the Kat TV podcast, your source for all things health, happiness, and beauty. Hi, Martha. Thank you so much for being with us here today. Hi, Kat. Thanks for having me. Could you share with us your journey, credentials, and how you became a sleep consultant? Sure. Well, I
1: started out as a pediatric sleep consultant because my son, when he was three months old, was waking up still every one or two hours all night long, and I was miserable, and so I ended up hiring a sleep consultant. It, changed, it made such a difference in my life that I decided to become a certified sleep consultant uh, to help other parents get their babies and kids sleeping, but the ironic thing is that even after my son was sleeping through the night when he was six months old, I still wasn't sleeping. And I, I had a hard time falling asleep at night and then I would wake up at three or four in the morning and not be able to go back to sleep until six o'clock when it was time to get up. And so I was still so miserable. And at this point I had become a sleep consultant. So I had, you know, I had started my business. I was still working full time at my other job and I had a young baby. And so <laughs> I was, I was miserable, not sleeping So I ended up taking an adult sleep certification course from the same woman who trained me for the pediatric sleep. And that course is called Solve Your Sleep with Dana Obelman. And so then from taking that, I was able to figure out my sleep. And, you know, it turns out I needed to do a combination of different things to start sleeping better. So it wasn't just take this supplement or, you know, don't watch screens at night. I needed to combine a few different things that worked for me to figure it out and so i also learned how to help others discover you know how to figure out their sleep and what they need to do to sleep well
0: so i'm sure some people are listening and they're wondering do i need a sleep consultant what kind of problems do you need to have before you get help is it just occasional like once a month you can't sleep very well and you toss and turn what do you need to see happening in your sleep before you seek out help
1: Well, I think that's, you know, that's going to be different for everyone. I think it depends on how much you want to change. So, um, I mean, first of all, I don't treat sleep disorders or diagnose sleep disorders. Um, So, you know, if if you suspect you have a sleep disorder, then you would want to go see a specialist for that. Um, But, you know, if you are having a hard time sleeping and it's affecting the quality of your life, it's also going to be affecting your health if it's happening all the time, then that's when you know, it suggests it's time to do something about it. If, if it's just once a month, it's probably not that big a deal to you. Um, but, you know, I've, I did work with someone recently who just slept poorly once a week about, but she was motivated enough and knew that it was affecting her health enough that she wanted to make some changes. But a lot of people who I work with, it's happening five times a week. And so that's really, you know, affecting the quality of your everyday life.
0: What are some of the mistakes that you find people make when they can't sleep and what can everyone do instead?
1: Yes, well, you know, not being able to sleep, say if you're trying to, to fall asleep at night or if you wake up in the middle of the night. I mean, one of the the main things you actually don't want to do is to lie in bed for long periods of time and not sleep. So, and, you know, for people who have been having problems like this you know that's probably what's happening a lot of the time and so your brain has lost that association between your bed and sleep and so what we want to do is to train your brain again that when i'm in bed i sleep and that's it and so i suggest that if you have been awake for about 10 or 20 minutes and haven't been able to fall asleep that you actually get up out of bed get out of your bedroom uh go do something really relaxing Um, you know, like read a book or do a crossword puzzle or meditate if you're into that, or if your mind is spinning a lot and start writing everything down that you're thinking about. And then, you know, once you start feeling tired again, then go back to bed. And if you don't fall asleep again in the next 20 or minute, 10 or 20 minutes, and I suggest getting back up again and continue doing that until you're able to, to go back to bed and fall asleep pretty quickly. And so the first few nights that might take, you know, you might be up and down a few times, but eventually your brain is going to get it that, okay, when I'm in bed, I'm sleeping. And if not, then I'm not going to be in bed. So that's a big piece um, that I like to tell people. And it's not something that you, you know, that you just find by looking up on the internet as much. Um, but that's a really big one. You know, a couple other things um, is you definitely don't want to be looking at screens if you can't sleep. And so I suggest not even being in bed looking at screens at all, especially, you know, as you're trying to fall asleep. But screens make us tired, but wired. So, you know, it just starts um, starts getting all your thoughts running, and um, and it's going to make it a lot harder to go back to sleep. But also, of course, screens emit blue light, which Um, blue light suppresses our melatonin hormone, which helps us fall asleep. And so um, that's pretty much going to, you know, to sabotage being able to fall asleep within the next hour or so. So that's why when I recommended getting out of bed and leaving the room, I didn't talk about getting on your um, phone or watching TV or anything like that because it's really crucial to stay away from screens. And then the third thing is... Is getting into this negative thought pattern. So we tend to be more negative in the middle of the night for sure. And if you think about it, when you're lying there in bed um, in this relaxed state and nothing else is expected about you or expected of you, um, that should be this very relaxing place to be. But what we're really worried about is how we're going to feel the next day. So it's easy to start worrying and worrying and worrying about everything you have to do the next day and how you're gonna feel and how you're not gonna be able to function if you don't sleep and 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 then start you know if this is happening all the time then it's really easy to think that there's no hope and that this is just how it's meant to be and how your body is. and um, and so you know I suggest obviously doing whatever you can to stay out of that mindset. So I like to have, people think you know go to their happy place or think positive thoughts or think I love sleep or something like that but just something um, positive and reminding yourself that this isn't the end of the world and that you can sleep and so you know so my mission too is to let people know that we are meant to sleep well and so there is hope and there are things you can do to sleep well even if you have been not been able to sleep for a really long
0: time. When I was younger, or even now, if I let myself, I will prefer to be up until two in the morning, and I have to force myself to be in bed by at least midnight. But how important is it when you sleep? Is there an ideal time? No, not really, because everyone's
1: different. And so, you know, maybe you've heard of your chronotype, or, you know, that's that's like your your body clock, everyone is a little different and it's actually genetically based. So it's hard, you know, for a night owl to become a morning person when that's, it's just not in their DNA per se. So it sounds like you, you know, are, are more of a night owl, likes to stay up late. Um, I'm guessing you're more alert and productive in the evening, possibly.
0: Yes. In the evenings and in late afternoon.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, those are the classic signs of being of being a night owl, whereas morning people tend to wake up alert and productive and then start to fade, you know, as it gets on in the day. So, I mean, you know, the only thing with going to bed at 2 a.m. is are you still do you still have time to get the seven to nine hours of sleep that you need? And if so, then it's fine. It's just our society tends to favor You know, the more in between what some people call the hummingbirds, which is not necessarily an early morning or a night owl, but just right in between. That's what, you know, that's what our society runs on that, that kind of schedule. But if you're able to adjust your schedule to your night owl tendencies, then going to bed at 2 a.m. is fine.
0: Okay, so good. I can tell my husband that so he can leave me alone. (laughs) So I have a little brother and he is... In college now he lives with my mom and he's also a night owl and my mom is con- she's a morning person she's like one of those horrible morning people that is super happy and jumpy and excited to be up and she's like it's a beautiful day and it's just terrible when you're a night owl and your mom is a morning <laughs> person so she's constantly on my poor little brother who um takes classes kind of late too and works and then he's a the night owl that's when he has his you know, alone time. And then he might wake up maybe noon, which gives him a full eight, nine hours. Right. So what can you do? What can you say to parents that want their children, especially like um their night owl children to just wake up early, especially when they've <laughs> come to the point where they can kind of set their own schedule?
1: Right. I mean, that's a great question. Um, first of all, uh, teenagers, and he might be a little older than that, but um, starting in the teenage years, our kids' body clocks actually shift later and they do become more night owls. And so, you know, they're seriously not tired at 10 p.m. when we expect them to go to bed. And, you know, we're starting to realize this more. And so high schools are starting later, for example, because it's really hard for teenagers to wake up early in the morning when they're seriously not tired at night. So I think the more we can understand that that is this biological natural thing that's happening and so not make them feel bad for what <laughs> what their body is doing. But again for your brother it's the same thing of understanding that also he's a teenager early 20s and he might he might be a night owl genetically and so just you know, trying to educate your mom about that, that that's not something he's necessarily choosing to do. It's how is how his body operates best. And so, luckily, he is in a place where he can um, have his schedule reflect that. So, <laughs> you can ever listen to this interview and see if
0: that helps. We'll try that. <laughs> So I heard not getting a good night's sleep can make you insulin resistant the following day and possibly lead you to make poor food choices that day. On nights when we don't get ideal sleep, are there any things we can do to help our body recover?
1: Yeah, great question. And that's totally true. What you've heard is that um, sleep deprivation does lead to insulin sensitivity and it's and it affects uh, the choices we make. And there are a couple reasons for that. Again, it's, it's a lot about hormones, but there are two hormones that control our appetite, so leptin and ghrelin. And leptin is what gives us a satisfied full feeling, and ghrelin tells us that we're hungry. Now, studies have shown that when we're sleep-deprived, leptin levels decrease and ghrelin levels increase. So you're going to feel hungrier even if you eat the same amount as when you got a full night's sleep. So there's totally a biological basis for why this happens. And we tend to crave unhealthy foods like candy and pastries and breads. And that's because our body is looking for that quick energy. And, you know, cause it's tired. So I, you know, I think to combat that is first of all an awareness that, um, you know, again, there's a biological reason why this is happening. And so being aware can help you possibly make better choices. Um, It's also, you know, we have a normal dip in our circadian rhythm in the early afternoon after lunch, which is why a lot of cultures take a nap. And so I would actually suggest if that's happening, and it's going to be, you know, an even more um, intense, intense dip, if you haven't gotten enough sleep the night before, is I do suggest taking a nap at that point. Instead of reaching for that pastry or that cup of coffee or whatever it is, your body's saying it's tired. So taking, you know, a quick power nap can can help you get through the day and and then ideally even sleep better the next night.
0: Is there anything we can eat or do during the day with our diet to encourage more restorative sleep at night?
1: Definitely. So, I mean, everything we do during the day actually impacts how we sleep at night, but it's really important to uh, have stable blood sugar throughout the day. So, um, because what happens if you're you're on a blood sugar roller coaster all day where your blood sugar is spiking and then dropping and then spiking, that's also going to happen in the middle of the night. And when your blood sugar goes too low in the middle of the night, it's going to stimulate our our cortisol and that's going to wake us up. So it's very important to to be on this even keel. So that's eating, you know, avoiding those sugary processed carbs and making sure you eat plenty of fat and protein with every meal and and really keeping your blood sugar levels um, stable is really important for sleep.
0: Could you give us maybe an example of what, like, say the perfect day and diet would look like for maximum restorative sleep at night?
1: (laughs) Sure. So first of all, um, I think it's really important when you wake up in the morning, ideally, you'd really wake up naturally without an alarm clock. So if you are waking up to an alarm clock, you might be interrupting your sleep cycle, and that's going to make you feel tired and groggy for the next little bit. So, you know, as much as we can to wake up naturally um, is, is ideal. And then another important thing to consider is to not wake up and just start going and checking emails and running around and, and you know, starting off your day with um, stress and, and cortisol being really high. So, I mean, what I recommend to my clients and what's worked really well for me is to actually have a morning routine where you kind of ease into the day. And so that's some time to do some journaling or meditation or, you know, walk the dog or in my case or whatever it is so that you're not just um, hitting the ground running and and starting that high cortisol from the beginning of the day. And so then um, it's also important to eat breakfast for most people. So that gets your metabolism going. It tells your body that it's morning time as well. And even trying to get sunlight that first 30 minutes that you're awake, if possible, which it probably is in Florida, um, mm-hmm. is ideal as well, because that just helps establish your circadian rhythm, which is uh, depends on light for that. So eating breakfast, getting light early, kind of easing into your day is really helpful. Um, you know, it helps to have... Um, protein complex carbs for breakfast for sure you don't just want to have a pastry and coffee and you know again trying to keep our blood sugar level stable starting in the morning is ideal as well Um, then for lunch it actually helps to minimize carbohydrates at lunch and that will help that normal um, dip in our circadian rhythm that happens not be as extreme so Carbohydrates can make us more tired at that time as well. So if you think about having lunch um, as more, you know, a salad with protein and fat and minimize the carbs is ideal. And then for dinner, you don't want to eat too close to bedtime, uh, especially a big meal. So I would say at least two hours before bed is when you want to eat. So your body isn't trying to digest food um, as it's trying to go to sleep. And, Again, the fat, protein, complex carbs are are important as well for dinner, but carbohydrates are actually important because we need that to help make melatonin. So so that's for meals. And then throughout the day, it is important to manage your stress levels. So whether that means taking breaks throughout the day or or doing some sort of um, relaxing activity, whether that's yoga or meditation or just a walk even um, because movement is also very important as well. So our bodies are meant to move and so it doesn't have to be strenuous exercise, but um, getting your body moving is important too for sleep. And then before going to bed, again, our bodies and brains need time to wind down. So that's why you read a lot about having a bedtime routine but it is really important. So we're kind of sandwiching our sleep with this, you know, relaxing start in the morning and then a relaxing wind down in the evening. And cause we really want to lower our cortisol levels. Um, you also want to ideally stay away from screens and bright lights an hour before bed so that we encourage melatonin production, which is going to help us sleep. And, and so, yeah, then ending the day with this, um, with a nice relaxing routine that doesn't involve screens and going to bed. And that is the, that's a perfect recipe for a good night's sleep.
0: Are there any myths that you hear a lot about how to get a good night's sleep? I
1: mean, I think the main myth you hear is about this eight hours of sleep. And, you know, it's important to keep in mind that like we all have a different chronotype. We all also have different sleep needs. And even our individual sleep needs change over our lifetime. So, you know, usually the range is between seven and nine hours and it's, and that's a pretty big range, but it is really different for everyone as to how much sleep they need.
0: So I I heard about, um, there was a study that said, if you sleep too much, you get cancer. If you sleep too little, you can get heart issues. And then I heard more recently that that study was a little messed up because, if you're sick in general, you tend to sleep longer. So if you have cancer, or something like that, you would sleep more. So have you heard anything about that? And what do you think about that?
1: I guess I haven't heard too much about sleeping more. It seems like, you know, your body is going to sleep the amount it needs. So yeah, if you are sick, we do need to sleep more to, because that's when our body heals. So you're right. I mean, I, so I don't know the study you're talking about. But I could see that it might already be studying people who are already sick and maybe don't even know it, and that's why they're sleeping a lot. Um, of course, if someone's depressed or something, then they might sleep too much. And 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 so that's, you know, a complicated issue as well. But, um, you know, there are a lot more studies done about not getting enough sleep and all the health effects that that has. So, yes, you are more likely to get heart disease and and be depressed, and get Alzheimer's. And so most chronic diseases, um, there is a link between not getting enough sleep and having an increased risk of getting those diseases.
0: Mm. So my daughter is almost seven now, and she's an expert at delaying her bedtime as much as possible. She'll need water. She's hungry. She wants another story, on and on. So, what are some tricks that we can try on our children to get them to sleep better and go down easier?
1: (laughs) Yes, good question. Um, You know, of course, as much as I recommend a bedtime routine for adults, I mean it's also very important for children as well. So, um, you know, and incorporating part of those things into the bedtime routine, or giving a warning of. Um, okay, we're about to go upstairs and get ready for bed. What are these last things you need? Do you want some water? Do you want a snack? What is it? And so say, what time is her bedtime usually? 8 p.m. 8 p.m. So, you know, 30 minutes is a great amount of time for a routine. So at 7.15, saying, look, in 15 minutes, we're you know, we're going to go up and start getting ready for bed. So what do you need before then? And then, so after that point, once you start the routine, you know, it's then it's not time for any of those things because you've
0: already given her the opportunity. Does that help? Yes. So what about jet lag? How can we avoid it or make it less? Because whenever I go on a trip, it takes like the first two days just to recover to start to enjoy the trip.
1: Yes, I know. I just went to Bali and came back a few days ago. So I am dealing with that right now (laughs) as we speak. Um, so, and you know, jet lag is tricky because, you know, supposedly it takes one day to adjust to one hour of time difference. So, you know, it's only in our recent history that we've been able to cross time zones so so quickly with flying. So our bodies just take a long time to catch up. Um, But, you know, the best thing you can do is to, once you get to the new time zone, is to um, start, of course, acting in the schedule of that day or of that time zone. And so getting early morning light in that new place can really help. And getting light at noon can help because, again, our clock is regulated um, by light. And melatonin, you know, I don't recommend supplementing with melatonin on a regular basis, but it can be really helpful for dealing with jet lag. Um, So taking that before bed can help you fall asleep and and feel sleepy. And um, another thing I've found helpful is there's an app and there, there are probably multiple ones, but one I used is called Time Shifter and you plug in what your trip looks like and it tells you when to sleep and when to get light and when to have caffeine. And so that helps you adjust faster.
0: During my pregnancy, I remember sleep was near impossible, and I personally have trouble sleeping on full moons or when I first get my period. So how do hormones affect our sleep, and is there anything we can do about those negative effects?
1: Definitely. Um, My insomnia actually started in late pregnancy too, and Mm. I figured it was just hormones, and I don't know what we can do about that in pregnancy because it's not like you can – try and balance out your hormones. They're just, um, a little crazy with everything that's happening, but, um, definitely our menstrual cycles and, and the hormones ups and downs that happen throughout that can definitely, um, affect our sleep. So, and I've had the exact same thing where when I was having sleep troubles, it was especially worse, you know, right before I was going to start my period. So, um, again, it's just these hormone imbalances. But what I found the most important hormone to be related to sleep is cortisol. And um, cortisol is our stress hormone. And it kind of has a bad rap when actually it's a very necessary hormone that wakes us up in the morning and keeps us alert throughout the day. And it also is stimulated, you know, when we're having a stress response to help us respond to that stressor. But if we have too much cortisol all day long and all night long, then we're not going to be able to sleep because that suppresses melatonin. So, you know, that's, again, the main hormone I found that affects, um, affects our sleep. And how much, you know, having too much cortisol also affects, it can lower our sex hormones as well. So, um, so I found that balancing cortisol is key to then having all of our other hormones more in balance as well. So luckily, like my... My you know problems sleeping around the start of my period have actually gone away as I've managed my stress levels better and figured out my sleep. So that's what I would recommend is, is focusing on managing your stress, figuring out hidden causes of too much cortisol, too, because there are things like um, having a parasite or having bacterial overgrowth, all these things that are active in the night and then cause inflammation in the night, which stimulates cortisol and wakes you up. So finding all of those things as well that might be contributing to too much cortisol um, is really key to, to helping you sleep better and managing your other hormones.
0: Are there any supplements that you might suggest for those of us not getting enough quality sleep?
1: Um, as far as supplements go, I, you know, again, I mentioned I don't really love supplementing with melatonin all the time because, um, if you're, if you supplement with it all the time, there's now evidence that then your body stops making it. So um, I, you know, I like more uh, lifestyle things to encourage the production of melatonin, like staying away from um, blue lights and, um, you know, relaxing before bed and things like that. But tart cherry juice is a natural form of melatonin. And so I've had, you know, a couple clients really find that that is helpful and, you know, I prefer that as opposed to the synthetic hormone melatonin you buy in the store. So tart cherry juice is just that very concentrated cherry juice, again, um, has natural melatonin. Um, magnesium can be really helpful. You know, a lot of us tend to be deficient in that, and that helps relax our muscles. And, and so, you know, again, that can be helpful um, actually taken t- or used topically, Um, absorbs better and doesn't have the laxative effect that taking melatonin pills can have or sorry, magnesium pills can have. So, um, you know, those are the two I mainly recommend um, unless I am helping people address things like having bacterial overgrowth or, um, you know, imbalance in hormones and things like that, then it gets pretty specific as to what people need.
0: Why is sleep so critical for your short-term daily life and long-term health? What can happen if we don't fix our sleep?
1: Right. Well, we, you know, we kind of touched on that with the increased risk of disease. Um, I mean, Matthew Walker in his book, Why We Sleep, he summed it up well and he said, the shorter your sleep, the shorter your life. Because pretty much, again, you know, we're more likely to, to develop these chronic diseases if we are sleeping less than six hours a night. Um, but you know, what I think is, is just as significant as how it affects our daily life as well. So we definitely tend to be more irritable with people. So that's going to affect your relationships. Um, you know, you're more short tempered, um, it's hard to focus and be productive. So, you know, that's super important. Um, for so many people, but especially in your work and everything. And um, so yeah, those are the main things I would say, as far as how it affects your day to day life. And of course, you just don't feel as well if you haven't slept the night before. So I do think some people are more sensitive to not getting sleep than others. Like I know I'm pretty sensitive to it, which is probably why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, But, but even if you don't feel horrible, you know, there are these other correlations between, uh, your mood and your positivity and, and you know, how you interact with other people as well.
0: Mm -hmm. My husband can go down to sleep in 10 minutes or less completely out. It can take me one to two hours to like fully calm down to go to sleep before I used to read a book. But sometimes these days I do bad things and I scroll on my phone, but it still takes about the same amount of time. So how can I get to sleep quickly like he can get to sleep? <laughs> well, <laughs> he
1: sounds pretty lucky and my husband's the same way that he can scroll on his phone in bed and then just go to sleep in a couple minutes. Um, but yeah, f- for you, I would say it is a matter of winding down and having a consistent bedtime every night can really help. So, you know, our bodies do better on a schedule and waking up and going to bed at the same time every night, even on weekends, which I know is tricky for some people, um, but that can help. And, you know, you may need more time to wind down or you may be trying to go to bed too early <laughs> than your body wants to. I mean, midnight, does, you know, seems definitely reasonable even for a night owl, mm-hmm. but, you know, trying to consistently stick to that can really help as well.
0: And what are your thoughts on blue blocking glasses? Are you a fan? And if so, how can we use them?
1: Yes, I I am a fan of blue blocking glasses. I feel like there are two options to minimize blue light in the evening. And so you can stay away from screens and there are light bulbs you can buy that block blue light, or you can wear blue blocking glasses and, and then, you know, still try and keep the lights dim, but Um, but not have to worry about it as much. But the key thing to remember with the glasses is that you want to put them on, say, an hour before bed, and you actually don't want to take them off until you are lying in bed and turn the light off, and then you take them off. Because if you watch TV wearing the glasses, that's great, but then if you take them off when you're, you know, in the bathroom brushing your teeth, then you're still getting that blue light from the light bulbs in the bathroom. So seriously keeping them on until... All the lights are off and you're going to bed is the key.
0: You mentioned an app before. Are there any other apps, gadgets, or products that you have found helpful to help either track sleep or to get a better night's sleep? Well,
1: I should have mentioned with the blue light blocking glasses, my favorite brand is called Swannies, and they are actually stylish looking glasses. I mean, you can go on Amazon and buy $10 blue light blocking glasses, but they're pretty ugly mm-hmm. <laughs> and probably uncomfortable. So, Swanee's actually make stylish glasses that actually look like regular, you know, glasses that you'd wear. So, those are really nice. Um, as far as gadgets go, you know, I'm not a huge fan of tracking your sleep necessarily. Um, some people are into data and and so they thrive on that, but I think it can cause a lot of stress. Like I worked with one client who, you know, was sleeping eight hours, but then she started tracking. It was like, but I'm actually only sleeping six and a half, you know, because even though she was in bed for eight hours and felt like she was asleep, it wasn't adding up all the times as we transition from one sleep cycle to the next. And so I feel like if the trackers are going to cause stress, then it's not helping. And it's more important how you feel every day. So than worrying about how much time you spend in deep sleep and REM sleep and, There's not even necessarily much you can do about that, whereas if you wake up feeling fine the next day, then that's most important.
0: And what do you feel about um, electronic devices, EMF, all those things? Do you feel that affects our sleep? And if so, what should we do about that?
1: I do feel like it affects our sleep. There's definitely mixed evidence out there, of course, but, um, you know, I am a big fan of trying to uh, remove as many toxins and environmental, you know, um, things as possible. So I do recommend that people, um, I mean, ideally you wouldn't even sleep with a phone in your room. You know, I'd, I'd like to see people use an alarm clock, just a regular alarm clock if they need one instead of their phone, and then they're not even tempted to look at that in the night or before bed. Um, or if you do still want it in your room, then putting it on airplane mode, you know, to, so it's not emitting those EMFs, um, turning off your Wi-Fi at night, and that's something pretty you can do pretty easily with a timer uh, to just turn it off, at, you know, close to whatever time you go to bed. Um, that can really help too. So those are just some simple things of, of just having EMFs as much as possible out of your immediate uh, immediate bedroom.
0: So what are some ways our audience can learn more about you and maybe work with you?
1: Yeah, so I my program is called The Complete Sleep Solution. So you can find me at thecompletesleepsolution.com. And on Facebook and Instagram is Complete Sleep Solution. And yeah, I I mean, I walk people through a uh, six module program that addresses every aspect of what could be affecting their sleep. So again, we can come up with their specific formula for how they can get a good night's sleep.
0: And Martha, if there's someone who's on the fence about getting a sleep consultant, what could you tell them to like help persuade them that they probably should get one? Right.
1: Well, first of all, I mean, I think, you know, this profession is pretty new. And and so a lot of people aren't familiar with having a sleep consultant necessarily. Um, So I would say it's, you know, it is, first of all, believing that someone can help you and having hope that that you can figure out your sleep Um, because again, we are meant to sleep well. And I think people who struggle with this for a long time start internalizing themselves as not being a good sleeper. And that's just how it is. And I don't believe that that's true. I believe that we can pretty much all sleep well. And then I think it's, um, you know, taking a good look at how not sleeping well is affecting your day-to-day life and imagining what it would be like and how things would change if you were sleeping well all the time. And then as well, keeping in mind all the long-term health effects that are there if you don't sleep well. So it's really important for your long-term health to get the sleep you need to.
0: Such a great point. And sleep is so important. Thank you so much, Martha, for being with us today. Thank you, Kat. Thank you for listening to the episode. If you made it this far, I'm sure you found some benefit to the hard work that I put into the show. Show your support by subscribing to the podcast, leave me a voicemail question, or email me at thehealthfulgypsy at gmail.com. I would love, love, love to hear from you. Be sure to join the Facebook group. You can find all that information in the show notes and my website, catkatibi.com. This podcast is for informational, merry-makings, and metaphysical purposes only. Statements and views are not medical advice. This podcast, including Kakatibi, disclaim any adverse effects by the use of information you may have heard. Opinions of guests are totally their own. This podcast does not endorse statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications, credibilities, or sanity. Individuals may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to on the podcast. If you think you have a medical problem, consult with a licensed medical physician, not just the spirit of your ancestors while on ayahuasca.